You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. Day after day, we read headlines that are filled with cases of domestic abuse, from public figures to celebrities to pro athletes. Sadly, this issue is often in the background, but we're starting to see it creep into the foreground. And what we need to also recognize is that this is an issue that is definitely within our churches as well. One in four women have or will experience domestic violence in their lifetime. Children who witness domestic violence are 1,500 times more likely to be abused themselves. And they'll also experience great trauma in light of it. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, on average, nearly 20 people per minute, per minute, are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States during one year. This adds up to more than 10 million women and men. Every nine seconds in the U.S., a woman is assaulted or beaten. I'm here with Taryn Mays and Summer Vincent Berger. Taryn is a minister at our Plano campus, and she has a background uh, in this particular issue of domestic violence and domestic abuse where she has ministered to sexually trafficked and exploited women. And Summer is a covenant member here at the village and is also a counselor at the Meyer Clinic in DFW where her, her expertise and a lot of her caseload is centered around domestic violence and domestic abuse. And so – Summer also provides training to churches and domestic violence uh, on the issue of domestic violence and a member of the Faith Community Council, which seeks to educate local churches on how to care for abuse victims. So to both of you, welcome. Thanks for being on. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, you bet. Well, let me let me say this from the outset. I'm grateful for both of you. Um, one, I've, I've served alongside you and worked with you and, and know your heart in this particular area and and how you have served me, and I'm grateful for that, one, in providing greater perspective for me and teaching me and educating me and um, getting me to see and feel the weight of this particular issue. Uh, you have both contributed that for me and for our family, and so we're, we're just grateful for that. And so just know that, and also for the church and what you've done to advocate for women in this particular church at the Village Church and continue to be an advocate uh, I, I think and I'm hopeful for the change that we're seeing here at the village, and both of you have been a part of that. And so we're going to talk about that. We've got a lot to cover in our time together. And um, this is, is somewhat of a different podcast. I mean, it's a weighty show. It's yeah. a weighty Absolutely. topic. It's heavy, um, but it's it's needed. It's a needed conversation. Mm-hmm. And mainly it's a needed conversation because it's one that the church is not having. Um, by and large, mm-hmm. is not having this conversation. Uh, Summer, I just want to ask you this. So mm-hmm. this is... And God bless you. This is what you deal with almost day in and day out. Right. Um, so you have the stories. You have the faces that are associated with this problem. Speak to that. Speak to the to how much of an epidemic it really is and how devastating. Yeah. You know, when I um, started my counseling journey, I did not want to work with this demographic. Um, and then I shortly realized there's no way I can get around it if you're going to work with addictions, if you're going to work with mood disorders, if you're going to work with children, if you're going to work with women, men, I could not escape this. Um, and so it is. it was much more prevalent than I realized when I was moving into this as a profession and then being a member of a church and being in home groups. And this has happened in my home group, um, groups that I've been a part of. So it's much more prevalent than I ever thought. 
And I think the church is um, really needing to have this conversation. So I can speak to it as a professional, but also as a friend who has witnessed some of my people, my pers- people mm-hmm. in my personal life walk through this. So it's incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, even considering, Josh, you know, you mentioned looking out across our congregation and seeing that one in four women, that this will likely affect them in their lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And so to truly consider that for our staff members, for our home group leaders, our recovery group leaders, um, lay leaders, deacons, elders in the church, um, to really come alongside and recognize this is happening in our churches, and we need to know how to rightly respond to the epidemic that's at hand. We cannot look over it. We can't glaze over any longer. And I said this at the outset where I was thanking both of you for your contribution to me and my family. And and part of this, feeling the weight of this as a dad and mm-hmm. as a husband, you know, I've got four kids. Three of them are little girls. Mm-hmm. And um, to, to read the stat of every nine seconds, there's a woman assaulted or beaten in the U.S., that I, I have little faces that I can associate with that um, and think of how painful that would be if that was one of my little ones, Absolutely. right? Or uh, one of my little ones who has then grown up and is now a victim of this. And so uh, the conversation is is definitely needed and important. And uh, we're going to try to unpack some of that. There's no way that we're going to be able to unpack you know, all that there is. But I, I want to start by kind of defining the terms a bit. Now, when we talk about domestic violence, domestic abuse, are those things synonymous? Are they different? Uh, if so, how are they different? So let's Let's start with domestic violence or domestic abuse. Are they are they one and the same? Yeah. So these are two terms that mean the same thing. Um, so the, the general definition that you'll find in kind of the counseling world or psychology world um, that you'll find on most websites or shelters websites, um, we say domestic violence occurs when one person in an intimate relationship exercises power and control over the other through a pattern of intentional behaviors, including psychological, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. So this is a systematic tearing down of a woman inside of her home. Um, And the way I describe it is DV or domestic violence is the umbrella. And then you have the subsets of abuse under that. So you might have physical abuse, sexual abuse, financial, spiritual, verbal. Um, So it is domestic violence does not just mean physical violence. It does not just mean she's being punched or raped. Um, it can mean a lot of other avenues where power and control are being exerted over her. So I, I want to stay on this just for mm-hmm. a little bit and and reiterate what you just said. So violence here does not mean physical violence only. Correct. Um, that there is something violent that's happening to the Imago Day. This comes Absolutely. up on almost every issue we have yes. uh, on, on this podcast show where we're talking about cultural issues and whether it's the right to life, racial reconciliation, or here we are talking about domestic violence or abuse, and we're talking about there's something violent happening to the person. Yes. And not, not just to the physical person, but mm-hmm. to the personhood of this particular person. They're the image that God created them in. There's an assault on that. There's an emotional assault. Uh, there is a physical assault, and that can come through a variety of means or mechanisms, whether it's through financial control sexual control, physical control, um, verbal control. And so let me ask you this, like what's on the other end, you've got the victim and then you've got the perpetrator in broad categories. And that's all that we're going to have time to really 
dive into here? What what is at the heart of this? Like, if when you're counseling, what what's what's going on? What causes abusers to behave this way? Um, how do we think about this biblically? Um, I'd, I'd love your your thoughts on that. Um, so, first of all, if you want a, a better, really specific resource for this, um, Lundy Bancroft writes a great book called "Why Does He Do That?" and this inside the minds of angry and controlling men. So, if any of you listeners want to go into that deeper and understand that, that's a great resource. He's been really influential in my counseling. Um, but one of the main um, reasons I think that perpetrators abuse is because a worldview and a belief system that they have. Um, so you might say, oh, perpetrators, they might have mental illness, bipolar, um, they might have um, have substance abuse issues, they might have been abused themselves, um, they might have a bad relationship with their mom, so they hate women, and so therefore they're abusive. But I know a lot of people who ha- experience those things who are not perpetrators. I think the difference is um, having a belief system um, of entitlement, right? I have um, – the abuser thinks I have a special set of rules and privileges that I get to operate in that my partner does not. And when she pushes up against that or does not behave in a certain way, he punishes her because of it. So I think, um, you know, wherever that belief system comes from, that counselor can explore that. But I think that's a big what differentiates between um, somebody who go, oh, they have a mental illness or they use drugs to this person has an intentional pattern of controlling and abusing their partner. Yeah, absolutely. And I even I'm thinking about that too. I mean, regarding thinking about anger and the heart, thinking about the roots of yeah. those sins. And so to think about Matthew 15, where we're saying it's not what goes into the man that defiles him, but what comes out. And yeah. so to recognize it is not a about the pushing up against it's not about it's not about uh, the outside person the action that's occurring outside of them it is an issue of the heart and yeah. it's out of an overflow of that heart out of that motive that that person is acting so we have to recognize it's a problem with the individual and not with the abu- the person experiencing the abuse absolutely um, which is you know we'll talk we'll talk a little bit later but that is often a, a common misconception for the abused mm-hmm. well, so the pronouns that you've used primarily have been he for the mm-hmm. perpetrator yes. and she for the victim which by and large that is the reality mm-hmm. um, but I do want to say that it's not always the reality. It is not um, always the reality. There are times when when he is the victim and mm-hmm. she is the perpetrator. Correct. And so um, just in our discussion, if we tend towards the she being the victim and he being the perpetrator, uh, we do want to just say even now that that's not always the case, Almost, but it is more than likely Correct. the case. Uh, yeah. So yes. my guess is in your practice, you're by and large seeing – women who are abused correct much more frequently than you are men correct so and we see that here in the church as well absolutely and on on the flip side walking with couples where it it is the case that the man has been abused and uh, the woman is the abuser and so yeah that's absolutely a, a possibility what, what some of the other factors that may contribute to this and and I don't want to spend a ton of time here but as we think about pop culture we think about movies we think about um, music pornography mm-hmm. all of that perpetuates an issue so if you think about pornography and um, just the epidemic that that is both inside and outside of the church and how that is perpetuating a control um, and exploitation primarily of women 
that is fostering more environments for this type of abuse. Are you seeing that? Are there links there, Summer? Are you- yeah, I, I think that it – I think that pornography obviously creates an environment where there's um, a degrading of a you are here for my pleasure and then you're going to be discarded, which is a huge part of domestic violence. You're here for me. I'm not here for you. So I think it absolutely reflects and perpetuates the issue. Um, I think TV and movies can. I don't think they all do. Sure, of course. But I think they absolutely can whether it's an overt women being assaulted, um, women being um, objectified. But I think you can also look at it in more subtle terms. If you uh, the, the TV shows you're watching or the movies or the plays and going, where are women in this? Are they consistently um, supporting roles? Are the, are the shows mainly about um, men and their stories, right? Do the women in these – and these shows have equal power. Do they have influence? Do they have voice? Because those are more subtle ways that send a message to society, to marriages, to young men and women. This is this is how it should be. Men are the leading characters. Women, women, you are you're okay, but you're lower. You're lower here, and you're just here for us. So I think there are subtle things that we need to pay attention to, believer as believers, and not just well, don't punch people. Right. 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 I even think, too, looking historically at what culture has stated where a woman's value lay, Mm -hmm. which is ultimately in her ability to conceive. And so if we're looking at the broader culture, not the biblical, the post-fall, you can see that certainly. Um, But the reality being it is about about what a woman can give um, and so what she can produce rather than it being about the fact that she is an image bearer, Mm -hmm. that she is created in the Imago Dei. And so you have this devaluing and then you have this hypersexualization. I mean, if you're looking at, I'm just thinking about music. I'm thinking about, um, gosh, uh, music videos, even yeah. the normalization for a woman to be on stage um, partially clothed next to a fully clothed man. Yeah. And it's not just that that has been um, shown, it's that it's been normalized. Um, so we're really looking at that, seeing um seeing women just look at that and say, well, that's normal, and for men to do the same. So there's this degradation, there's a sexualization. And I also think and when we look at pornography, so coming from uh, my own background um, and, and doing a lot of study in the, what, what pornography, the rates of pornography, and so to see an increased rate in uh, violent pornography, so what is actually available for people. Um, and so to see that uh, the that pornography has taken a trend towards violence and that as that violence increases, that becomes a normalization. That becomes something that people see it's normalized and then they go to act that out with a partner. So again, this idea of where the power is derived from. So absolutely. And I want to say this again here, as we kind of talk, we get talking about pop culture and you think, Oh, this is, this is just happening on the Grammys and on music videos and, you know, it's movies and cinema, and I'm I'm not a part of that, right? So you may hear some Christians who are saying, oh, I'm not really a part of that. But just to go back to the stats, right, and to say one in four yes. every nine seconds, yeah. that, that when we're sitting there on a Sunday morning, there are people around us who are experiencing this. Yeah. And so whether or not we're seeing kind of the undercurrent of why – the effect or the result of all these currents coming together is colliding into a real disaster 
mm. around domestic violence and domestic abuse. And by and large, the people who are suffering are women and children. Yeah. And, and I also want to just parse out a, a little bit here that there's a difference between an abusive act and a pattern of abuse. Mm-hmm. And um, all of us at some level have had a controlling moment, mm-hmm. said something that was verbally assaulting or offensive. And I, I don't know that all of us have punched or kicked or done something like that, but you have that moment, that flash of anger or whatever it may be. But what we're talking about here is something systemically different. Um, and there is a pattern. There is a destructive this is how this person operates. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a, we can have abusive moments or moments that we're ashamed of, but a big difference that you can, um, a litmus test you can use to go, okay, am I in a, a relationship where there's a, this is the pattern or is this just a one-time thing where my husband hurt my feelings or I hurt my husband's feelings, right. I yelled at my kids, um, is w- if I yell at my husband and and I hurt his feelings, um, I feel bad, right? Right, and he comes to me. He says that was really rude, or that made me feel like this. I feel, I feel bad. I repent. We repair, right? And then, for the most part, that doesn't happen again, right? The abuser will say, "That's your problem," mm-hmm. right? That's a big thing that you can go. Mm-hmm. The abuser goes, "You're scared of me. You need to go figure that out. You need to work on that because it's not my problem that you feel a certain way." Mm-hmm. So that's that can be a a way to figure out what's the difference. But yeah, we're looking at a a pattern of behavior that happens over time um, that tends to escalate. That's that's a differentiating piece of an abusive relationship is it escalates over time. The severity the severity increases over time, um, and it's you know not just a one time event. So let, let's take it from kind of pop culture and bring it down into the church. And this is the realm where um, I operate, Taryn. You operate and. And somewhere you're a member here, a deacon here, you're serving in this particular area in our church and then in our community. And so we all have ties to this in the church. And um, I, I want to talk about like what are the practical ways as it relates to, to domestic violence and abuse? How, how do we care for the hurt? How do we care for the oppressed? Um, what theologically are we missing that we may, may need to elevate? Like um, – what are some of those things that church leaders, if they're listening, uh, or even just for the three of us as we're here talking, just to remind ourselves of practical ways the church um, can get involved in this? You know, I, I think, I think to start, it really, it really centers around us humbly recognizing that we do not understand that we have been largely unaware of the rates of domestic violence in our churches. And so to just recognize that we we haven't seen and to recognize the nuances of domestic violence uh, and, and even where there have been presumptions on our end that victims will self-disclose, yeah. um, that they will come forward, um, or even that we, we might recognize them as a victim. Um, and so to just take the time to step back and, and to say, we have not seen, um, and then in turn um, to humbly enter in and and begin to be tra- to train our lay leaders, to train our staff, to train um, our our elders, um, all of the to be well informed, um, to know how to to spot the red flags being raised for domestic violence, to be to learn how to ask good questions um, for those that they we might suspect being involved in an abusive relationship. And that is in order for us 
So we do those things in order that we might connect those individuals with trained professionals, biblical licensed professional counselors, that uh, as leaders of the church, we can walk alongside this individual who's receiving counseling and care alongside their counselor and, I mean, connecting them with deep biblical community. It, it it is a triage of support that we are trying to create for the individual. It is not simply go to this counselor, only see this minister. Yes, go be involved in recovery or in your home group. It is all of those things surrounding the individual providing comprehensive care. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a practical thing is to have an ongoing referral network that's updated, that someone's managing, right? That you go, here are specialized counselors. Here are lawyers that are specialized in family law. Here are lawyers who do really well um, in custody against narcissists, right? Or borderlines, yes. those kinds of things. Here are shelters. Um, here are food banks. All of those kinds of things are to have one that's um, – Updated and ongoing is going to be really a great practical resource. Another thing I tell churches is have a budget that you can give money towards your covenant members and families who need them. Economics is one of the biggest reasons that women can't leave these abusive scenarios. She hasn't worked outside of the home or he has a higher paying job. Supporting kids on your own, even if you have a job, is really difficult. So, you know, that depends church to church, depending on your budget. But I know in Dallas, we have a lot of wealth, and we have a lot of wealthy churches. And so building in, hey, we can pay for your lawyer. We can pay for a year of rent for you, right? Or we can do this um, because you're a member and, and we want to help you. So that's another practical way. Um, the other thing that I like to encourage churches in um, is to check your theology on divorce and remarriage. Um, your theology on suffering and abuse, your theology on women's roles in the church. All of those things play into this issue of power and control. Um, reflect on your church budget and your staffing. Do we have the same amount of women and men in ministry roles? Or are most of our women in children's roles and administrative roles, which are valuable, but that's not the only place that women can serve and have giftings, right? Um, mm -hmm. How many women are around the table when you're meeting with this, with a victim? Um, do you have four or five elders, and then one other woman who's part-time. Those are all things that impact how we minister and care within the church um, for families and for victims of violence. So let me say this. Um, those, all of those things are important. And, um, and just to be candid about our experience here at the village, and again, if I, I'm just going to say how much both of you and other women here at the village have served us in this particular area. Uh, Summer, you and I have talked on the phone a billion times <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> about um, these issues. Yeah. Um, and the idea of seeing, you know, Taryn, you brought that up, to see it and to feel it and to own that um, in, in an empathetic way, it changes the game. Absolutely. And um, sometimes the Lord opens our eyes um, through pain and through hardship uh, sometimes he humbles us in ways that we would prefer him not to, right? Yeah. Uh, and then there are other times when it's a little bit more gentle mm -hmm. um, and patient and kind. Either way, seeing has to happen. Like we've we've got to see this as a as a church. Um, there are one in four. Yeah. Right? You just go back to it. There's one in four. Um, so if you if you just have the village church, if you have ten thousand people here, um, and there are twenty five percent of the 2,500 women 
are likely impacted by this here. How can we not then have some structures and budgets and staffing and training in place to care for the oppressed who are in our midst, right? The vulnerable. And a a theology that I I want to talk about here, and and again, we're not going to have time to take deep dives into any of this, but is a theology of the oppressed and a theology of the exploited. And um, if we think about just all throughout Scripture that God is a God who cares for those types of people, that he has a heart for the exploited and the oppressed and the downtrodden and the abused. And particularly, most of the time, that is women and children. And you think about these these people, women and children in our churches who are being oppressed by those who are supposed to be their most intimate partners. And that's what's so insidious about this for me. It's not this man over here who I never met is doing these things. It's this one by whom I have covenant with, this one who we have shared the deepest levels of trust is betraying me at an unbelievably base level. And so seeing that uh, is vital. I, I, I just cannot stress it enough. It's vital. I'll also say this, it's really painful. It's really painful to see it. And one of the things that the village did, and you all know this because you were a part of it and helped orchestrate it, was bring in outside help who then trained our entire staff, Um, elders, deacons, key lay members, and staff. Um, And it was a gut-wrenching training. Yeah. Um, It was exhausting. Um, but, But man, what hope that gives us to fight for those who are oppressed. Like this, the Lord's heart is for that. And, um, and it's a really big deal. So we, we brought in people that were outside experts that had an expertise and had a view into this in a way that we did not. So seeing one of the things that they said was this referral network that that needs to, because the reality is, and Taryn, you know this, I know this pastorally, I am in over my head quickly. Absolutely. I mean, I think it too, even to think about it in terms of going to a medical doctor. So my dad was diagnosed with cancer. We sent him to a urologist. He did not go to a general physician. He went to a specific doctor for the needs that he had. And so it's a good and right thing. I mean, and again, kind of back to my point earlier, I think we... I think we just have to recognize that it um, that it can't just be anybody with a Bible in hand yeah. that comes before right. an individual. While the scriptures are absolutely sufficient, completely sufficient to be able to deal and address and provide hope they and are. healing in yeah. Christ, um, we have to recognize that there are trained professionals that we need to be connected to by God's grace, and they are abounding. Yes. <laughs> so we need that. We need a referral network. Absolutely, we do. Summer's point, and then the training piece. There, there has to be specific training around this. And um, it it's too much of an epidemic for it not to be a priority. And um, and so, again, the theology of suffering, the, that theology of suffering being balanced with the theology of oppression mm-hmm. and how do we, how do we work all these together? It, it's, there's a lot to it. Yeah. And it can feel a little bit overwhelming at times, but I do think, and I, I don't think I firmly believe with great conviction um, that this should be a priority for the church to be involved in. I, I want to talk about just as we kind of try to lay out some practical things here, um, 
what are warning signs? Like how do we how do we recognize this? How do we how do we see this? I think one of the most gut wrenching realities of that training for me, and I know for a lot of us on our staff, were how many times we missed it. You know, yeah. it's just it's right there in front of you, and because you didn't have eyes to see, you just didn't see it, and you wonder what you perpetuated, right? And there's grace for that, and yeah. God forgives, and absolutely, um, but it does add to the weight of seeing, right? But there are ways to see. I mean, this is what you do every day, Summer. You know, you're looking for these things. So what are some of those signs that we should be mindful of? Again, we're not, we're not going to be able to solve it all here, yeah. but just to kind of keep the conversation going. Yeah. The main thing that I start with is looking for areas where there's controlling behavior. And there's going to be different, um, different areas or different spheres of control, right? So um, one man m- might be really controlling over what she wears, but he might not care that much about if she works outside the home. Or he might be really um, horrible about parenting, but he doesn't mind so much about this. So it's not going to be control across the board. It could be, but most of the time it's going to be spheres of control um, that you pick up on that go, this doesn't really add up. Um, She can't make decisions for herself. She always has to check with him. And this goes beyond going, oh, let me go check with my husband if we can do that. This is going kind of picking up on, well, she knows something might go bad if she doesn't um, do exactly what he wants or she doesn't run something by him outside of normal, just I'm going to check with my spouse. Um, an example is I was speaking to an elder's wife one time, and they were going over to a um, a young couple's house, and they, they got there, and the, the wife um, said, just wait, don't be seated, Bob will come in and tell us where to sit. And that elder's wife thought, whoa, that's odd. That's a, right? And it yes. seems very subtle, yes. but it ended up uncovering a lot of emotional abuse that was happening. So, you know, having eyes to see and having discernment about subtle things that go, I'm a grown-up, and so are you. We can choose our seats, right? Yes. Um, Some of those smaller things that go – because you're probably not going to see the huge – he's not going to rage at a dinner party, right? There's going to be small things that you're going to go, that's controlling. She's an adult. She's an equal. She can sit where she wants. Absolutely. And even thinking, too, about the – now, again, each case is is different. um, But Mm -hmm. thinking of the typical profile of an abuser and the abused, which is really fascinating to watch work itself out. So with an abuser, it's typically someone who's quite charismatic, who's suave, who's really likable. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm sitting, if we're looking at the, con- we're thinking in the context of the church, if I'm sitting in my home group and I've got a man who's incredibly charismatic and really likable, then the entire group's probably liking him, right? Yeah. Like they're, I mean, he's presenting his best face. Oftentimes he's there for every service project. He's going above and beyond for people. All of the boxes are checked. Yeah. And for her, for her, typically her, for the abused, it's going to look a little bit opposite that she might be skittish, um, yeah. quite scared, quiet, um, yeah. very, uh, very subservient. Yeah. Um, and so really checking with him for things. Um, unsteady might be a good way to describe it. Oftentimes um, those who are abused say they feel like they're crazy yeah. because they have, there is so much control that is occurring in their lives. And oftentimes they're being told that their reality isn't reality. So um, I think that those things are good to be able to recognize now. Again, it's not every case every time, but it's good to note um, so that we can just be aware. Okay, this this is where it can get kind of crazy mm-hmm. because the scenarios that you just described, there are people who think, man, yeah, I, I actually want them to sit here for this reason. I think it'll add to the party, be a really great time. 
and there's zero abuse mm-hmm. going on. And this guy is charismatic. He's got an outgoing personality and he is an influencer and he's serving because his heart is gold before the Lord, right? And what some of this can do, and I, we felt this even in our staff, where it creates an air of suspicion where you're, you feel stymied almost. You think, golly, could, what if I do just want to encourage somebody to sit here or sit there? One of the things that was helpful for me and, and I think for a lot on our team was thinking about on the other end of that, particularly with a woman or, or the abuse victim, if it's a man in that particular case, is is that is that woman flourishing? Like is there – is the Imago Day brighter in her, right? Yeah, that's great. Um, is it? Is the person within this woman, her personhood, is it coming alive in and around his presence and his leadership? Or are you seeing a sense of shriveling, a shrinking, yeah. dying, atrophy? Um, because there are – there are men who just have that personality. They're gregarious and they're fun and they're big and they've, they've got mm-hmm. all this and that. And then next to them is a woman who is flourishing. Yeah, uh, She right. feels alive and she has a voice and, and is empowered and they're, they're companion. I mean, mm-hmm. all of that's really happening. Mm-hmm. And then there are others where um, sadly and unfortunately, what you see is the slow shrinking of another person. And, and for me, that was a helpful distinction. Because some of the examples, you could play either way and then you just feel stuck, yeah. right? You right. just feel stuck. And so um, just for, for my own thinking in all of this, um, kind of that litmus test is, am I seeing him or her flourish? And I think a good thing to note in that as well is to ask questions. And so you can really, that might be the, that might very well be the case, right? Where you're seeing her, where you're seeing him be gregarious and, um, and hopefully her flourishing, right? But maybe where there is question, you start asking. And so some of the, the ways in which our staff was, were, were trained were simply to be able to ask informed questions. So for that home group leader to start asking, you know, if someone is saying, you know, we've been getting regular fights. These are just it's kind of a regular pattern for us. Okay, well, what is what does a normal fight look like for you? What does your worst fight look like? What's your best? You know, where what, you know how often is this occurring? Um, when you're fighting, what happens before or after? And then in that, you can kind of it, you can kind of begin to pe- like parse apart really, um, and and then see right is this I mean is this just kind of a normal thing or is it really unhealthy? And that's where we need to dig in and connect to the church, connect to counselors, that sort of thing. Okay, I want to talk about missteps, okay? Um, So a listener to this podcast is now in no way (laughs) trained or ready uh, to diagnose, treat, walk with, unless they were before this podcast. This did not help them in that particular area to become credentialed. And I certainly don't feel that way. Um, Both of you are much more qualified in this space than I am. And I think that part of that goes back to the seeing, Taryn, that you brought up of just knowing I feel super limited here. Um, this is not a space that I'm as as gifted in as you are, Summer. I just mm-hmm. – I'm not, uh, and I'm certainly not as trained. And so what are some of those missteps where good-intentioned men or women um, are trying to be helpful but actually um, uh, just aren't? Yeah. Um, you know, the main one is treating DV couples and creating a treatment plan um, 
as if it's a marital issue, right? Abuse is not a marital issue. I want to like scream that from yes. from every room in here, right? A marital issue is two. It's something that two people have created and both need to work on to improve, right? That is not what abuse is. Abuse is an individual issue within the heart of one person that needs to be addressed before reconciliation or marriage issues can be addressed. So the biggest misstep that I see is pastors or counselors um, giving the kind of counsel and advice you would give a non-abusive marriage. Um, an example would be asking the question, what was your part, right? Mm-hmm. What, what did you do in this conflict? Mm-hmm. That can be a great question for another healthier marriage. How did you guys both participate in this conflict? Um, but when you ask a victim that, what was your part? What you're really saying is, how did you help him abuse you? And how can you help him stop abusing you? Right. Which creates learned helplessness, a lot of mental health issues, right? So we want to view this as an individual issue and not as a marital one. That's the biggest, most dangerous misstep that counselors, lay people make. Okay, so let me jump in there uh, by way of example yeah. that may help kind of illustrate the point right. that you just made. We would never ask a little child, what did you do to perpetuate this abuse from this adult, Mm -hmm. right? And so if there's a true victim involved and that victim happens to be a marriage partner, right, then why then would we treat it as kind of a co-problem when we would never do that with, say, a a kid? Absolutely. Um, And so, sorry, go for it. Keep going. No, yeah, I mean, that's, you're exactly right. Um, That's, you know, we call that victim blaming language, Mm -hmm. which is, um, how did you, you know, what did you do to get hurt as opposed to how can we help you and how can we get you safe? And typically as the victim, they're already thinking in terms, yes. those terms, that it is my fault, hmm. you know, within the church, even thinking about, you know, common misconceptions. Well, submitting to authority means that I should never question the authority over me. Mm-hmm. Um, a meek and quiet spirit means that I'm not going to say anything and I'll accept the blame. Uh, if I submit to this mistreatment with a loving and good attitude, then God's going to help me and deliver me. Mm. All of these are just yeah. common misconceptions. This is my fault because she has typically been told it is her fault. It's something to do with you. Remember, it's yeah. external. And so, I mean, I think we we've re- we could do well to just recognize that's where they're coming from. So we need to be we need to be very slow and patient and careful in how to care for that victim and to separate them to say, first, we're looking for your safety and then we're looking for your sanity and then we're looking at some other steps past that. So it's amazing how quick our time has gone. Um, But I I, want to ask one final question before we're done here. Um, As we think about hope, that this is not without hope, right? These situations are not without hope. You have seen uh, healing. You have seen transformation, restoration when appropriate, all of those things you've seen and we've all seen. Um, And so as we talk about this situation, which just can be overwhelming, you know, that it's not a situation without hope. And and I'm just grateful, again, I just want to say it again and again for both of you and the countless others that you represent, um, that you're fighting because you have hope. You have hope for the church. You have hope in Christ. You have hope for this particular issue, that it is not this one anathema issue that is outside the bounds of the grace of God, that is outside the power of his healing, um, that there are testimony after testimony of men and women, victim and perpetrator, who have found healing, repentance where appropriate, uh, transformation, and all of those things. And so um, this is a fight that's a good fight. Yeah. And um, it's a hard fight. Um, and, and fight may not be the right 
uh, terminology to say as we're talking about domestic violence, but we're what, what I'm saying here is it's a struggle, um, but it's worth it because we're talking about people who are oppressed and the Imago Dei, which is being squashed and shriveled um, and degraded and diminished. And it, I mean, we just go on and on, mm-hmm. but Christ, yeah. you know, right. um, right. that his grace is sufficient. He is able, he's able mm-hmm. to uphold and to bear with and, um, and so we do have tremendous hope in the church and for the church to change and for the church to see and for the church to receive and to grow and to become a place that honestly catches up. Yes, um, right. And um, so we, we want to we champion that. So. Yeah, and I do think to that point, um, I know in, in speaking about sex trafficking, I, I used to talk a lot about the fact that, hey, it's – it's okay that you you didn't know, and now that you know, you can't unknow. Yep. So we can't go back anymore. We we see the problem now, and maybe we should have been aware of it before now, but it's here in front of our faces. And so we have a responsibility as those who are believers, who are carriers of the hope of Jesus Christ, of reconciliation, of, of also the healing and the beauty of Christ— to share that to a broken, hurting, lost, dying world with the hopes that those individuals are reconciled to Christ. So I think, yeah, to your point, Josh, there's so much hope yeah. in all of this. And I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by the steps um, that specifically the Village Church has been making and um, and praying and asking the Lord for more individuals like Summer um, to be a, a part of our body, to be stepping out in the giftings, the education, and the specific skill sets that um, they have to serve and care for the church. I'm, I'm so grateful for you. I just need to tell you that across you. the table. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just you are an answer to prayer. Um, and man, I'm getting, it's hard to just think about those women. So yeah. Um, yeah. I'm grateful for you. Yeah, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I echo everything that was said. You know, my hope is that the church is at the forefront of care yeah. for the least of yes. these and for the oppressed, for the victim and for the perpetrator, right. that in love there would be care, support, encouragement, and for the perpetrator in love, there would be confrontation, accountability, and the opportunity to repent and come to know the Lord. That's right. So, Amen. absolutely. Hey, thank you for both y'all. Thank you for thank being Thank you on. for having us. Thank it's you a pleasure. so much. It's been great. Now, as we close the episode, let me say this to you. If you are a victim of domestic violence, if you've been listening and there has been something that has stirred in you where you've recognized something for the first time or you are keenly and acutely aware that you are involved in domestic abuse or violence in some way, let me give you just a couple of things um, that we would encourage you to do. I want to make you aware of the National Domestic Violence Hotline. That's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Their number is 1-800-799-7233. Again, that's 1-800-799-7233. Also want to let you know that if you're in the DFW area and feel comfortable reaching out to us at the Village Church, we'd love the opportunity to minister to you in this way. And by way of contact, the people that you can reach out to here at the Village are either our group's ministers, uh, there are those available at all of our campuses, or one of our campus pastors. You can find their information and contact information on our website at www.thevillagechurch.com. Our hope for you in this is that you would find safety, security, and healing in this area. I want to let you know about our next episode where we're going to be discussing Christian cultural engagement and the Benedict Option with Rod Dreher. We'll see you next time. God bless.